Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're considering the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus drilled down on the essential aspects of character long before He got into conduct. Character, Jesus knew, is what produces conduct. Conduct flows from character. This introduction to the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. That comes from the Latin word that we uh, translate uh, blessed. In the English, it means happy. And, And each Beatitude builds on the one before it. We started out by looking at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there we saw that that means we come to the point where we realize we're spiritual beggars. This is where our Christian life begins. We have nothing to offer God. There's nothing good within us. We call it in theology total depravity. We are totally depraved, nothing to bring to God. He does all the work. We are spiritual beggars. When we're a spiritual beggar, secondly, we mourn our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. We understand that that our sin is against the living God. It keeps us from God. And so we mourn the fact that we're separated from God. We recognize our sin. We own our sin. No one else's fault. It's ours. And we repent of our sin, which means we turn from where we were headed and we turn to God. When we go through that step of repentance and mourning our sin, then there is a humility that should come over our lives. We realize it was nothing we did to have a relationship with God. He's done it all, and so blessed are the meek. We lay down our pride. We are humble before God. That's vertically, and we're also humble uh, with each other because we realize we're on the same level at the foot of the cross. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. When we realize we're at the same level at the foot of the cross, we want to grow. We want to know Jesus in a more intimate way. We want to make sure we are growing in our walk with Him. And so there's a yearning, there's a, there's a, there's a hunger, there's a longing for a, a, a deeper relationship with Him. Last time, we talked about the three parts of that hungering and thirsting. First, it starts with justification. That's coming to Christ. And then sanctification, that's where we are as Christians, growing in Christ. And then glorification, that's where we'll be one day as we see Christ face to face. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek. And now we come to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown or receive mercy. When you look at the word mercy, you will see it surrounded by words like uh, pity and sympathy, uh, forgiveness, care, generosity. You will see it far from words like uh, self-centeredness, conceit, uh, greed, or pride. And wherever you see mercy, you will see it with its inseparable partner action. Mercy never sits still. Mercy has ADHD. It is always in motion. Mercy can best be described by this formula, compassion plus Action equals 
mercy. There always needs to be compassion. That's where emotions start. But mercy always has to have action with it as well. We could put these pictures up on the screen, and they are pictures of people in some difficult situations. And unless you're extremely callous, you are moved by those pictures. You see people going through devastation. You see people who are hungry. You see people who are down and out. And our heart, we say things like our heart goes out to them. We experience the emotion of compassion. We feel for these individuals. But to be clear, compassion alone is not mercy. You can sit in front of the television or your iPhone all day long and read these stories. You can have tears flow down your eyes and still be a merciless person. Compassion always involves action, and then it's mercy. Mercy always does something. Mercy always comes to the need of an individual, a person, a group. Mercy is illustrated well in in this very familiar passage, John 3.16. In this passage, we see God's mercy and grace. Let's look at this. For God so loved the world. What's that? That's His compassion. Now, what if we stop there? What if we just stop there in the message today? God so loved the world. Isn't it great that God loved the world? Aren't you thankful for that truth? Let's talk about that truth all day. God loved the world, and the world went to hell. God so loved the world that He was moved to action. He loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's the action, and compassion and action together, that's His mercy. C, not S. That's his mercy. (laughs) Caught it on my own that time. (laughs) So there you have his mercy. Then whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gift that God gives us, the free gift. So in this passage, we have both mercy and what? Grace. John 3, 16, where God's mercy and his grace come together. Jesus is the supreme example of mercy, and we see his mercy demonstrated throughout Scripture. Uh, Turn over to Matthew chapter 20. Great story. Jesus is leaving Jericho. He's got a great crowd following him. He always has a crowd uh, with him. Uh, When he's doing his public ministry, when he's walking along the road, someone's with him. And and, and he comes uh, to this place where two blind men are sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted. Think about it. They just didn't whisper. They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have what? Have mercy on us. They saw the opportunity for the first time. They may be able to see. And so they cried out to Jesus. They may have heard of him as other people walked down the road. Here's a man who touches blind eyes. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them. I love the story. The crowd said, be quiet. 
Jesus is coming. You be quiet. So they, what? They shouted all the louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you mean to do? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. So check this out, verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them. Isn't that great? He had compassion on them. Did they get, were they still blind? Yeah, Jesus had compassion on them. They're still blind. But then, action. He touches their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Compassion plus action equals mercy. And we see that specifically at the cross. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. There's his compassion. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done. It wasn't based on our work. We are spiritual beggars. But because of his mercy. What do you see in that word mercy? You see Jesus humbling himself all the way to the cross. It's his cross it's his compassion, his love for us, and his death that allows us to have a relationship with him. Jesus' greatest act of mercy was at the cross. Mercy's supreme example is the compassionate action of God through Jesus Christ. That's the compassionate action that allows us to become a believer in the first place. That is what allows us to be justified proclaim not guilty. That is what allows us to have the robe of righteousness put around us. That is what allows us, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send another comforter. He's going to be with you always. The Holy Spirit comes, and it's the Holy Spirit, the act of God, who had compassion on us and sent his Holy Spirit as believers. Now we can be involved in the process of sanctification. We can grow because of God's great mercy. And those who receive mercy should what? Show mercy. Those who get it should also be those who give it away. Christians of all people should be the most merciful. In fact, this verse says, if you're not merciful, you're probably not a believer. I was shown mercy so I can show mercy. Look again at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That kind of sounds conditional at first, doesn't it? If you are merciful, then I'm going to show you mercy, Jesus says. But that contradicts with the first beatitude, because we are spiritually depraved. We can't do a thing. We can't even show mercy. What Jesus is saying here is, when you realize you're spiritually depraved, when you mourn your sin, when you uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, when you humble yourself, then you will be a merciful person, part and parcel with being a Christian. And demonstrating that is how you'll demonstrate that you're a Christian. And when you do that, you will be shown mercy at the end of the day. Instead of judgment, God's mercy. 
The book of James explains that very well. The book of James pulls no punches. It talks about the fact that our faith has to have some teeth to it. And we can talk all day about being a Christian, and we can sing songs, and, and, and we can read our Bible, and we can go to another Bible study and another Bible study. But unless we are doing something, James says our faith without works is dead. It's not that our works produce our faith. It's that our faith produce, produces works. James chapter 2. Speak as those, this is James 2, 12 through 17. Speak, as, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Pretty clear, isn't it? You say, I don't understand a lot of Scripture. Well, that one's hard to miss. If you're not merciful, you're not going to be shown mercy. Mercy triumphs, though, James says, triumphs judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, well, go in peace, keep warm, well-fed, but does, not, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Sorry you're hungry. Sorry you don't have any clothes. Sorry you're cold. See you later. James says, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. What's James saying? James saying, mercy is a demonstration of true saving faith. The proclamation of faith. The proclamation of faith without the demonstration of faith is no faith at all. Blessed are the merciful because they have trusted in Christ. They are showing mercy and they're going to receive God's mercy. Okay, the rest of our time, let's kind of drill down on this a little bit. Three essential ingredients to mercy, three parts to mercy. And these kind of build on each other. I believe demonstrating mercy has three critical parts. Here's the first one. Mercy, compassion plus action, must be grounded in evangelism. Mercy has to have within it the desire not just to help a person for a time, but help a person for eternity. We help them for a time so we have the opportunity to share with them the message for eternity. If you want to call that manipulation, you go ahead and call it manipulation. I think it is God's way of us gaining an audience. And so we supply food for someone or we help someone. That allows us the opportunity to share the gospel because if you have mercy without the message, it is social gospel. And that's it. And I don't care if you feed a person every day for the rest of their lives, but you never share the gospel with them and they don't trust in Christ, guess where they spend eternity? Not with Christ. So we have to be those who have this inseparable link between mercy and evangelism. In the New Testament, the early church, that's what happened. Uh, by, I, I was reading a thing this week. It said in the first, I don't know, it's 50 to 100 years of the church, the church grew 40% every year. 
People were flocking to the church, sometimes in the middle of times when it was persecuted because there was something in the lives of the believers that was different. They got it. They understood. Between 165 and 251 A.D., the Roman Empire, which was a huge part of the world, had two major plagues sweep through the empire, and each time a third of the population died. But here's what the Christians did. Princeton sociologist Rodney Stark says this, the willingness of Christians to care for others was put on dramatic public display. Pagans tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted, often casting the still living into the gutters. Christians, on the other hand, nursed the sick, even though some died doing so. Christians were visible and valuable during the frequent natural and social disasters afflicting the, Roman, uh, the Greco-Roman Empire. Earthquakes, famines, floods, riots, civil wars, and invasions. Even in healthier times, the pagan emperor Julian noted that the followers of the way, that's what Christianity was first called, the way, followers of the way supported not only their poor, but ours as well. And that's still happening around the world today. Christians are usually the first people in disaster-stricken areas. If it's Ebola, Christians are there risking their lives. Some died. If it's a devastation, Christians are there. A lot of times through mission organizations, Samaritan's Purse, different things going on. Christians are there helping the disease and those in disaster situations because Christians realize you put your faith into action. Compassion without action is not mercy. And people take note of that. One recent study I saw in a leadership journal based on a survey of 750 Muslims who converted to Christianity, their number one reason for conversion was this, the lifestyle of Christians. Former Muslims cited the love that Christians exhibited in their relationships with non-Christians. They cared for non-Christians and how they treated women as equals. People were watching question is, what are they seeing? Now, let me say one more thing here. When we put pictures like this on the screen, think of the emotions that come to your mind, these devastating situations. And so we're stirred. Again, unless we're really callous, we're stirred. We wonder what a difficult thing that would be and God's grace to us that we're not there only because of God's grace. And, and we're stirred to compassion, actually, when we see people down and out, right? When we see people in devastating situations. But then I put a picture like this on the screen. What's your reaction? Should it be any different? You see, if mercy is based in evangelism, what's the thing we want to happen? We want the person to come to Christ. Sometimes we romanticize mercy, only applying it to helping the needy with food. But that couple... I don't know who they are, but that couple without Christ and an impoverished child without Christ, both will spend eternity in hell. 
If you live under a bridge without Jesus, or if you live in a house as big as a bridge without Jesus, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Selective mercy is not mercy at all. And in James, he talks about showing favoritism to the rich, and you're not supposed to do that. We know that. But sometimes we flip that, don't we? We do the reverse favoritism. Now, granted, if I tell you a story about visiting the slums of Mathari in Nairobi, Kenya, that makes for a lot better story than if I tell you about having a cookout in our backyard with our neighbors trying to introduce them to Christ. The, the Nairobi story sounds a little better, doesn't it? But those kids we visit in Mathari slums and your next-door neighbor with four cars, their eternity is going to be in hell unless we introduce them to Christ. Mercy is not selective. We need to make sure that when we understand mercy has within it the component of evangelism and that's what we're moving toward and driving toward, it doesn't matter if it's the Madari slums or the orphanages in Panama or Honduras or Haiti or the person next door. The end of the day is an eternal soul that will spend eternity in hell without Christ. That's where mercy has to be. Number two, mercy starts at home. You cannot be a merciless spouse and be a merciful person. You cannot be a merciless father and be a, a merciful citizen. And there are a lot of people who love to go do stuff and show mercy all over town at a mission, at a soup kitchen, at some place. Those are great things unless we miss mercy at home. Now, I grant you, it makes a better story. It makes a better story if I served in a soup kitchen all afternoon than if I played ball with my boy in the backyard. But unless I show compassion with action at home and do the things I need to do as a father, I have no business doing it with someone else's kid, right? Mercy has to start at home. You can't have a company, Christian business owners, that gets written up for all your benevolent deeds and be merciless to your Christian to your employees. Christian business owners should be the most generous, don't you think? Christian business owners should be the most generous of all business owners. They understand God's grace. They got humility. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They should be the most generous. John Fowler, who is our youth pastor here for many years, he's now with his wife in Bianca in Panama. He used to work at a restaurant in the area, and he said, when I was working as a waiter, he was a waiter, and he said, when I saw 
uh, a family kneel, you know, bow their heads and pray. He said, oh my gosh, there goes my tip. (laughs) Christians are the worst tippers. That's sad, isn't it? We need to be the most generous of people. And we can't be a church. We cannot be a church that just talks about the slums in Nairobi and the orphanages in Panama without showing mercy to our children right here. Investing in them with our time and our money. Equipping them and developing them as followers of Jesus Christ. Do we need to do those things outside? Absolutely. Can we forget what we're doing here? No. And so mercy will be some of you sacrificing five days to be involved in vacation Bible school. That may be your application to this. You are willing to sign up as a volunteer and you're willing to do something because you are going to put your compassion for children into action. That's mercy i got to make a confession uh, to you, and I apologize for this. I think we love missions here at the church. Missions has been part and parcel of who we are and what we do, and we continue to do it. But i got to be honest, and I ask your forgiveness, because I think we have romanticized mission trips. And sometimes there are some of you sitting there, and you say, my goodness, I've been serving for years the children's ministry. I've been doing that. I've been doing what God's called me to do. I can't go on a mission trip because of my health, because of my family, because of a job situation. I can't go. But here the mission, they get commissioned on stage, and we show pictures when they get back. And I ask your forgiveness. Because if you've been sitting there and you're saying, man, I feel guilty. That's the real Christians, man. The real Christians get on a plane and go overseas then we've missed the boat. Real Christians are those who demonstrate mercy wherever they are. Real Christians are those who demonstrate mercy to their kids and the kids next door. And then, maybe when you do those things well, if God leads you, you can go overseas and do it as well. But you don't have to go overseas to do it. You don't have to go overseas. The people who stand up here on the mission trip are not super Christians. God's just put on their heart for them to do something overseas. So don't put that on yourself. And I ask your forgiveness if I've been a part of doing that. We cannot romanticize mercy. It begins at home. We have to be showing mercy where God puts us. It's right here at our church with helping hands. We've got people doing work all over uh, this area in homes. Someone cares. I can't tell you the hundreds of meals that have been taken. What a, what a testimony that is when there, someone passes away or someone's sick and they just see people bringing meals in. Neighbors say, what's going on? What church do you go to? Embrace foster care. Again, taking care of your own children first. Divorce care, grief share, celebrate recovery, mercy fund. goes on and on. But mercy is not just a ministry. It comes from deep within our heart. I'm going to say this real quick. Any of you were outside your yard and you saw a kid 
playing in the middle of the street, and you saw a car coming down the road, I bet every person in here would do everything they could to get that kid out of the street, even risk their own life. I have no doubt about that. Then, at the same time, we need to help other believers when they're in dangerous situations of sin. I think Galatians 6, 1 is one of the least applied, unfortunately, passages in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you'll be maybe tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Showing mercy is not just saying, oh man, here's what I heard. Showing mercy is stepping in to say, look, I'm not above any sin. But right now, I saw you in this situation. You need to stop that. I'm confronting you. It's not a judgment call on my part. It's what God's Word says, and I will always stand behind God's Word. Be merciful, Jude says, to those who doubt. Sometimes we say, man, this person doesn't get it. How do they not get it? They've been here forever. How do they not get this? Well, be merciful to those who doubt, Jude says. Reach out to them. Interact with them. Help them along in their spiritual journey. Mercy always has to have evangelism. Mercy always begins at home. And then third, mercy can be taken to the broader community. Once we have this healthy sense of mercy, we can take it to the broader community. We need to be those reaching out. If we just get insular, we become self-absorbed and unhealthy. That's why we have beyond these walls. Got to take care of home. That's our first bucket. But then we reach out into the community, the nation, and the world. We want to be those who take the message of Christ and demonstrate mercy wherever we are. Again, whether it's overseas or the person next door with the four cars. They both need Jesus. Compassion for people means you get involved. You get involved in ministries like the Pregnancy Resource uh, uh, Ministry Center. It's, so, it's a tremendous uh, ministry. In the early church, children were not valued, and little girls were really not valued. And so they would take these little girls, and they would go put them in the field to die. And the Christians would go out in the fields and take these little girls in and raise them, little boys and girls, and raise them in the fear of instru- and instruction in the Lord. And that, that took place the first 300 years until Constantine came in in 325 A.D. and made Christianity the national religion. And then he outlawed exposure out in the fields. We're so thankful for uh, our, our campuses, for those in Washington. Uh, you guys remember a few weeks ago you gave all those diapers? There was a giveaway, uh, a diaper giveaway yesterday in Washington, and Zeb uh, Thomas, our campus pastor there, um, texted me yesterday afternoon. I just want to read the text. Uh, very successful diaper giveaway in Washington today. Uh, we gave out over 5,750 diapers to 115 families. Hot dogs were grilling, music was pumping, and we had a great time at the corner of Wheeling and Maine. Every kid who left, uh, with a, every kid left with a, with a balloon animal. And Zeb said, for the record, I'm lousy at making balloon animals. 
And we got to pray. Now, here's the cool part. We got to pray for several moms right on the spot. People were blown away by the generosity, and we got tons of connect cards for follow-up. Mercy always has to have evangelism in it. And so these follow-up opportunities, we get to share the message of Christ. Out in Robinson, man, some cool things out in Robinson. Uh, Tom Rojan's doing a great job out there. Tom, you're doing a great job out there. And um, uh, they have this tremendous ministry with He's Got Your Back at Stowe Rocks School District. Some of these pictures are going on. Tremendous ministry. Again, compassion and action. And then in Wilkinsburg, Dave DiDonato leading tremendously in Wilkinsburg. And they started a ministry called Bridge Mentoring where you can go interact with kids that, that need a father or need a mother, need a friend. I'm going to show you this little clip. It's about 30 seconds. It's on our website. But this tells you about bridge mentoring that started at our campus and is headquartered at our campus in Wilkinsburg. A lot of people really deserve mentors. Like I see her just growing uh, a lot in these last 11 months and her relationship with God. Um, Nakia recently accepted Christ. They like play video games, go out to eat. I would like to have fun with them. I would like to um, play basketball. I feel children can never have enough love. And I feel like their mentors genuinely love them. And the more the better. That's not necessarily family, but it's a child of God. And all these kids, they deserve that. Please come and help and play with me. Bridge, bridge Mentoring, we'd love to give you more information on that. Right here in our area, you only have to go across a bridge and through a tunnel, which for some of you is like going across the ocean. I get that. <laughs> Mercy is why we send teams with the Samaritan's Purse to Missouri when the tornado goes through, to Oklahoma when the tornado devastates areas. Did you know that today, six out of ten Americans say that the church is irrelevant. Six out of ten of your neighbors and my neighbors say the church is irrelevant. Did you know that there are over 170 million non-Christians in America making it the third largest mission field in the world So you see, we've got to be those who take the message of Christ across the street. We have to be those who demonstrate that the church is relevant because we have a message of mercy and a message of Christ. And those two things have to go together. Kirk's going to come out and lead us in a last song as he does. Let me tell you a quick story. Sometimes with mercy, the hardest part is just saying, man, where in the world do I start? 
I get these letters from needy ministries. I see these pictures of kids. I mean, there are opportunities. There's so many, I'm almost paralyzed by all these opportunities. I don't know what to do. So where do you start? So a guy came uh, to talk to Jesus one time. He was a religious leader, and uh, he said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus started asking him questions, and Jesus always set people up, didn't he? And he said, well, just keep the commandments. That'll be good. And the guy said, eh, I've done all these things. And then Jesus said, well, then love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, uh, the man wanting to justify himself will say, who's my neighbor? I mean, is it the guy across the oh, Jesus, come on. Is it the guy across the road? Is it the guy down the street? Is it the guy I work with? I mean, I can't, I can't love my neighbor if I don't know who my neighbor is, trying to justify himself. So Jesus told that story, the Good Samaritan, right? There's this guy beaten, bruised, and left for dead right in the middle of the road. And the religious guy, the priest, goes and sees the guy beaten and bruised, and he's busy. He's got things to do. he got a church to run. So he walks around him and heads his way. Then the Levite comes, kind of an assistant priest. The Levite comes. Well, he's busy too. A lot of things on his calendar. The guy's dying, but he's got appointments. So he walks around him and goes on. And then you know the story, right? The Samaritan comes, the despised man, the minority, the guy who's been abused verbally most of his life. He comes, he sees the man, he gets off his donkey, he bandages his wounds, pours oil on the wounds using his stuff, puts the man on the donkey, he walks, takes him to an inn. He's busy too, he's got things to do, so he leaves him at the inn and he says, here's money to take care of this guy. And on the way back, because mercy always follows up with people, right? On the way back, I'll check in and I'll give you any other money you need that you've spent on this guy. And, and then remember what Jesus said? Um, who really is the neighbor of the beaten guy? And the religious leader said, the man who showed what? Mercy. So, yeah. It can be overwhelming. The things we ask you to do at this church. The opportunities you have. God's not calling you to do everything. He's just calling you to do one thing. How do you figure out what that one thing is? It's like right in front of you. The guy's beaten and bruised in the middle of the road. And God says, there you are. You can either... Show an act of mercy, you can go your way. We want to be those who show acts of mercy and demonstrate that our faith is relevant. That's what the world needs to see. This thing's relevant. It makes sense. It changes lives. It changes hearts. It changes our actions. See, Jesus makes a difference. Not just about a bunch of people going to Bible studies and singing songs. This thing works in real life, doesn't it? Let's stand together. Kirk's going to lead us, and pastors and elders, come on down, and we would love to pray with you. This week, what is that act of mercy that you're going to continue to do 
or maybe do for the first time. 